0: Kansas anymore. Are
1: you ready? No,
2: I'm just getting warmed up. This task was appointed to you.
0: I say I
3: want the truth! I say we take off and move the entire site to
2: Dodge heads.
4: Hello, listeners. I'm Billy, PR and Communications Officer here at the BBFC. On the 17th of January 2019, we launched our classification guidelines, which we update every four to five years after a massive public consultation of over 10,000 people. What you're about to hear is a panel discussion chaired by Dave Miles, Policy and Partnerships Director at ParentZone. On the panel were Josh Korn, Manager of Global Public Policy at Netflix, Leslie Johnson, Director of Home Entertainment at the BBC, Phil Clapp, Chief Executive of the UK Cinema Association, Rhiannon Dillon, Host and Film Critic, Ann Chalmers, an advocate from Girl Guiding, and our own Craig Lapper, Head of Compliance at the BBFC. You may also hear a slight crackling on the line as this was a live event, but please stick with it as this is a fantastic discussion. Enjoy!
3: So, firstly, thank you uh, to the BBFC for inviting me to uh, chair the discussion today. Um, I do a lot of events, and uh, it's been a long time since I've chaired such an interesting panel around such an (coughs) interesting theme, and you only have to look at the press and media over the last 24 hours to understand just what a level of public interest is around media and the issues involved with the BBFC, so it's fantastic. And uh, don't forget to uh, tweet uh, BBFC guidelines, hashtag, and there's also an event uh, Wi-Fi as well if you want to use it. I'm very keen to get your thoughts on social media. Um, we have around an hour for the discussion and I'm sure it'll be a very interesting one and you'll be pleased to hear we have about 20 minutes to ask some questions of what is a really interesting audience and panel. Um, so I think as a as a scene setter um, with today's publication of the BBFC classification Guidelines it'll be five years since we that was last updated. And I think you can all acknowledge that there's been an incredible amount of change in the way that people have consumed media. And with the explosion of new technology and the huge increase in amount of home viewing, um, there's an increasing need for youngsters and indeed parents to self-regulate around an amazing choice of media. So it's a really interesting time. And so we're gonna sort of try and ask ourselves three questions and, and discuss those. One is how are online, services shaping viewing habits online? It's a really interesting question, particularly in the last five years, I can't think of an area of more change. Josh, could you kick us off as a sort of agent of change in many ways around the way much of uh, content is uh, viewed? It'd be interesting to get your thoughts on the last five years and perhaps some of what's gonna happen going forward.
5: Sure, and, and uh, thanks for having me. Um, uh, you know, it can sometimes be overstated how much change there is, right? The you know, theatrical, traditional broadcasters still play a huge role in media distribution and and, and entertainment uh, through film and television. Um, but, you know, there are some changes as we've moved online. And, and the primary goal, and I'll speak for Netflix more so than necessarily the whole industry, but I think, you know, if you talk to, to the BBC and if you talk to other players, there's similar thinking here. Um, but, you know, the goal at Netflix is to bring our members joy, um, you know, make people happy through the movies and TV shows that they watch. And, and the whole product, if you look at our website, if you look at our application, the goal of that is to match you with content that you're going to like. Uh, our recommendation system, our, our profiles, um, that's, that's all what it's designed to do. Classification, parental control tools, protection of minors generally, you know, plays a really important role in that same kind of objective, which is, you know, how do we provide our members the ability to make informed choices for themselves, for their children, for their families, Um, because we know that as members, you know, we have thousands of movies and TV shows on our service that, that people can choose from. And so if you don't like horror movies or you don't want your child to watch a show with a lot of nudity in it, uh, showing you that content doesn't do us any good because all of a sudden we've lost trust with you. Uh, we've, we've created an experience that's not enjoyable. Um, and so you know the, the whole focus on uh, making sure that our members can make informed choices is really core to the functionality of our service um, and and you know working with the bbfc and we've been partners with them since we've launched and our partnership is growing is is so important for us because when we look at the uk market and we and we try and understand what our citizen consumer expectations here what do people want to see from classifications they're the experts um, and you know creating guidelines like this uh, working with them helps us provide a service that people are going to use and enjoy
3: Leslie, from a BBC perspective, I mean, there's been huge changes in the last few years. And and clearly, the the BBC's moved hugely online in response Mm. to changes. Your thoughts about the findings and perhaps the changes in the last few years?
6: Um, Well, I move, first of all, obviously, within the UK. um, The BBC sits in sort of two, uh, depending on our services, two regulatory landscapes. You Mm. know, Ofcom regulates BBC, the broadcaster, and, and its online services. Um, and um, in the home entertainment space that I'm specifically responsible for, um, then we have the BBFC, and I've been working with you for many years. Um, I think um, in terms of uh, the concerns that have been raised through your consultation process this time round, absolutely hits the spot. Yesterday, I did a bit of a straw poll of my colleagues in the office who um, have teenage or preteen children, and they're all wanting this. So, the BBFC, in its, in its consultation process, it's every five years going out and catching the, the public mood. Um, we wholeheartedly support, and we've, we've all, always uh, supported within um, my area of the mm. business. Um, Particularly, I mean it's changed now, but um, a few years ago you used to be able to release a factual work um, without any Certification, but we would always watch that material and voluntarily submit our content for Certification if we felt that the content was going to be of concern to young people and in order to signal that um, that content for parents, (coughs) so we are huge supporters um, of a uh, a consistency across the, across the landscape, mm. but yes, at the same time, we have to be aware that we, we sit sort of between two stools of regulation.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's really interesting to hear, and I think at this point it would be useful to bring in Craig, head of compliance at BBFC, to sort of talk a little bit about some of the key themes, but we'll also talk about the process, because it's a huge exercise yeah, in terms the, of what uh, you
7: do. Yeah, the uh, public consultation exercise, as David said, this is the uh, fifth time we've gone out to the public to, con- to consult, and it's a very large scale piece of research, it takes some views of around 10,000 members of the UK public, and it takes, um, it takes the form of two stages, the first stage is a uh, qualitative stage where we go round the UK, run focus groups, and we pick films that we've received the most feedback about and, and we ask people to go away and watch those films come to focus groups and, and discuss what they thought about our classification of those films but also what they think about classification standards and the guidelines more generally what issues are of greater significance to them and also about how they're viewing content mm. which as we said is, is is something that's changing very rapidly and has changed rapidly uh, particularly over the last the last few years with online viewing now being the the largest stream of uh, how people are viewing content at home. Um, so, so, So we use those discussions which we have in all parts of the UK, England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, we go to run these focus groups, that gives us a bit more nuance and detail about what people are thinking in terms of our guidelines, in terms of the decisions that we've made over the last few years. And then there's a second stage to the consultation, which is a a very large scale um, uh, quantitative questionnaire stage, again, with a demographically balanced sample of members of the public generally, members of the public who identify as regular film viewers, also teenagers. In the last consultation and this consultation, we've captured the views of around 1,000 teenagers as part of that survey. and and also we invite the views of uh, of film viewers who come to our websites. We get quite a quite a large selection of people and a, and a you know a representative, demographically balanced um, sample of uh, of viewers across the UK to canvass their opinions. And as David said in his introduction, it's very important to us in terms of setting the standards um, that we apply to films to make sure that those standards are providing. The public with what they want, and I think the reassuring thing, um, although it's less interesting to report on what the changes are, the reassuring thing is always to see the degree to which people agree with the classifications we're providing, mm. and uh, particularly given that in the consultation we tend necessarily to focus on the more contentious cases we've had or the ones about which we've had the most emails from members of the public, um, that nonetheless, um, 92% uh, of, of people ag- agreed with the decisions we made, including including some of those borderline decisions. But of course, there's always room for improvement, there's always areas where opinion may have shifted over the last few years. Um, and as, as David said this time, probably the two key um, the things that came out of both, uh, elements of the, the uh, consultation were increased concern about sexual violence, mm. and, and it's worth saying that the board already treats sexual violence very seriously at all levels, um, but the public were very clear that they didn't think there was any place for sexual violence below, below the 15 level, and that even at the 15 level, it should be handled uh, very carefully and, and, and discreetly and in an age-appropriate manner. Um, the other concern, and perhaps this partly comes out of the way that people are viewing a range of content online, was this idea of um, the pornification of culture and whether um, whether elements borrowed from pornography, stronger and cruder sexual references, uh, are finding their way into mainstream entertainment and whether that's, uh, whether that's appropriate, especially at that kind of mid-teen level. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, the main changes to the guidelines this time in terms of uh, restrictions will be that there'll be a a both more nuanced uh, but more sensitive approach towards um, sexual violence at the the 12 level at the 15 level, but also a more cautious approach perhaps towards uh, those stronger and cruder um, sexual elements at the mid-teen level. Mm.
3: Interesting, and I think in addition to young people, did you not go out to other communities like the Tamil community? Yes, absolutely,
7: yes. Especially from a cinema perspective, um, we we classify a lot of um, South Asian films, you know, conventionally um, referred to as Bollywood cinema, and that's a really large part of the cinema market. In fact, you know. It's not unusual uh, to see uh, South Asian films coming into the top 10 in a given yes. week. Um, so it's a very important part of our, uh, our, uh, our, our business in terms of cinema classification. Okay. Um, and it had been a few years since we have reached out directly to that particular audience. So this time, in, in addition to running um, focus groups with... Adults, predominantly parents and teenagers, we also ran focus groups with um, viewers of South Asian films mm. to check in with them to see whether they, they felt that the standards that we're applying yeah. are, are correct and appropriate. And interestingly, although, um, although South Asian audiences can sometimes have slightly different expectations in terms of what they expect from a film compared to a mainstream audience they were very clear that they felt that the bbfc applied consistent and reasonable standards and that in fact uk standards were the standards that should be applied to Mm. south asian films but it was really interesting and this time in addition to speaking to um, audiences for hindi language films which is perhaps the largest uh, the, the largest sector there in South Asian cinema. We also reached out for the first time to audiences of Tamil language films. Mm. So it was really interesting and useful to engage with them mm. and get their feedback.
3: That's interesting, and I and I think too. And, um, I think what's quite interesting too is that in that five years you are still constantly getting feedback from people. I'm thinking of the educational outreach, yeah. teenage surveys, it's not like this all sort of builds up to the year before, this is an ongoing process
7: isn't it? Oh absolutely, yeah, 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 when we decide which films we're going to show to people, yeah. which films we're going to ask people about, it's not just what's in cinemas now, we go back and look at the feedback we've had from the previous five years what we've been hearing from our regular education presentations because we have a rolling uh, programme of education presentations around the country. So we're always talking um, to teenagers and young people about what's concerning them. Mm. And then we take the, the issues and the films that have generated the most uh, feedback for us over the last few years and that's what we use in order to test mm. test the, uh, uh, the, 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 the robustness and saliency of the guidelines. Mm. Yeah.
3: And uh, Philip, I could come to you now. So, from a, a UK, cinema, UK Cinema Association perspective, I mean, it's been a fascinating five years. I read at the weekend that in two thousand and seventeen, there were one hundred and seventy-one million cinema tickets sold. Yep. Which yep. is incredible. So you
8: it, should see twenty eighteen.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's it's sometimes you know we look at online and those aspects, but cinema seems to be thriving. It seems to be lots of new content. Has it been an important five years? Are there significant changes? Yeah,
8: I I think, you know, we're we're hoping at the beginning of next next week, actually, to announce uh, the admissions number for 2018, which which will be 177 million, which is the biggest cinema admissions in the UK since 1970. Mm -hmm. And that's a result of a number of things, I think. That's a result, certainly, of a very strong film slate, It's a result of massive investment in the cinema infrastructure, uh, and that's not just refurbishments of existing sites, but also the opening of a whole range of new sites, particularly kind of boutique cinema sites. Mm. And probably kind of slightly untangible need for some element of feel good, to be honest. So, Mamma Mia 2, The Greatest Showman, Bohemian Rhapsody, all in the top five, um, and you know clearly have a a certain you know kind of um, Upbeat demeanour, which probably isn't in keeping with uh, a good deal of the rest of the discourse outside of cinemas. <laughs> 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 yeah. um, but uh, but uh, but I think you know what I would take from that, aside from of course you know kind of a certain amount of pride on the part of the cinema sector in terms of its performance, is that it's not a zero sum game. It's you know mm. the, the growth of online streaming and other legitimate ways of consuming film isn't to the detriment of 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 watching films. In the cinema, you know, the, the British public seems to have an almost infinite appetite to consume films in all its forms, mm-hmm. and you know, we should not put it, set up a kind of false opposition bet- between the two. For cinemas, you know, for for, for decades, you know, and, until the advent perhaps of you know more kind of online forms of viewing, were in, in many ways the kind of the front line where the the decisions made by the BBFC came against, came up against the the kind of cold reality of the British public, and. It's, it's undoubtedly a, a common feeling amongst, you know, the vast majority of those we represent. that the, 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 the legitimacy and the credibility of the BBFC classifications is key to that dialogue with customers. Mm. And, you know, inevitably, uh, you know, views change. But certainly, you know, the number of instances we have of, of genuine real-world challenges... To the classification decisions you know 177 million admissions last year Mm. is infinitesimally small you know you know and and i would say actually you know in terms of the you know the real life experience where those challenges come they don't come around the output of people like Lars of ontario and others who are clearly at at the margins it's that kind of young adult content, where clearly, you know, there are different views of the maturity of young people to cope with different types of content. And actually, frankly, I think, you know, the young people themselves are often quite savvy and and knowledgeable in terms of what they, 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 they do and what they don't want to see. Frankly, it's the parents. You know, many of the instances we have of the challenge at the box office is a parent trying to get a child into an in-betweeners or a venom or something else, which they think they they should be seeing. Mm. Frankly, regardless of whether a kid actually wants to see it or not. <laughs> um, and, and again, going back to that uh, that confidence that we can give you know, the poor sod who has to deal with that on a, on a cold Friday night at a cinema, that the classifications are there for a reason, they're consistent, they have credibility and legitimacy. I and mean, without going into the theology, you know, the, the way the legislation, the entertainment licensing legislation works is that at a very basic level, the role of classification of films in its original form sits with a local authority and as you know, it's delegated, thank God, to the BBFC to do that, simply because what we don't want is the vagaries of local councils, local councillors who have a bee in their bonnet about a particular film which they've probably never seen, deciding that it should be a higher or lower classification. And we have consistency across the piece, and that's the, that's the legitimacy that comes. The third point I make, and it's absolutely you know, part and parcel of the changing media landscape, is we're very conscious now, our members rather than we, that our customers get their information in a whole different variety of means around a film. Now it remains the case, and, and, and for you know a media savvy audience it may come as a surprise. The majority of of cinema audiences are still walk-up. You know, they don't book online, they will turn up and they will book a ticket on the night, which seems you know, completely anathema to those of us who are used to you know, booking maybe a week or two weeks in advance. So so we can't forget, we can't assume that everyone gets their information online. So, you know, the signage in cinemas, the explanation of, of the classification of a particular film and why that classification sits there is clearly, clearly very important. But equally, our sector has had to up its game mm. in terms of the way it conveys information to people and how detailed and how digestible that information is. And, and, and we've worked closely, I mean, David said at the outset, we work worked closely with colleagues at the BBFC and you know, in X Factor pilots, we've all been on a journey uh, in terms of this. You know, originally the extended classification uh, information was probably a little bit too granular and a little bit indigestible. But certainly, the feedback we get from uh, our members, big and small, is that we're now in the sweet spot where people know what they need to know in order to make an informed decision, and that can be uh, an adult, a parent on behalf of a, a, a younger person, or a younger person themselves. Mm. I mean,
3: that's really interesting, and and. I I suppose there's all sorts of new challenges with so much greater choice in so many formats. And I think one of the things that struck me, and and Craig, perhaps you can speak to this, is that 9 out of 10 uh, parents and teenagers in the survey wanted BBFC ratings extended. They wanted more consistency. Yeah. Was that that a strong message?
7: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, particularly because over the last few years it's changed so radically so that now yeah, cinema is extremely popular as something to go to as a group as a family as an event to, uh, as an event to go to and there's so much choice at the cinema mm. but nonetheless the, the, the shift in terms of home entertainment viewing away from dvd as the predominant means of accessing the majority of content towards online you know downloaded material um, has been very marked over the last few years and um, while um, while VOD platforms, uh, especially Netflix, who we've been working with very closely, and, and, and will continue to, 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 to do so, um, are keen to do the right thing, and there's a lot of evidence that people want to provide that kind of information, because they know that's what their customers want, and you know they need something to help them navigate what kind of stuff they're going to encounter online. At the moment, because it's not underpinned by any legislative, framework uh, in terms of online regulation. There's no obligation. Companies are working with us because they know that people understand our ratings and that it can help their customers to avoid unwanted surprises, as as Josh said. (coughs) <coughs> there's, there's, a, there's an inconsistency online at the moment that isn't there with DVD. DVD uh, the cinema, people know that they're going to go, they're going to mm. see that the film is a 12A, there's a little line of advice from us, there's, it's a 15. They have a broad understanding of those ratings and what to expect from those ratings. And similarly, up until now on DVD, Blu-ray, it's also been very clear on the packaging. Mm. Our ratings, people are very familiar with them, they do understand what they mean. Um, But at the moment there isn't full provision of those kind of ratings online because Mm -hmm. there's no no similar legislative requirement. And that's producing confusion because people want to know what's in the content they're Mm -hmm. watching. They recognize our ratings, they understand our ratings, they're used to our ratings, Mm -hmm. and they find them a useful guide. And as the statistics have shown, they tend, uh, especially parents, to trust those ratings and, um, and find them useful. And there's a very high demand from parents, and perhaps surprisingly also from teenagers. Mm. The, 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 the figures showed that the figure was slightly higher for teenagers than it was for adults, oh, really? in terms of wanting some kind of information about what they're going to be viewing online that they recognise, that they understand, and they trust. And of course, it's, it's important to the BBFC, but it's also important to online providers mm. that they listen to that, and that we find ways to work together to improve the coverage of the kind of content that people are coming across online Mm -hmm. because there's evidence including from the teachers that we surveyed um, as part of the consultation that they're seeing evidence that people, uh, that the the children that they work with are perhaps uh, accessing inappropriate content, they're becoming Mm -hmm. anxious or upset by the content that they're seeing because perhaps there's not (laughs) consistent classification across all online content. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's to the advantage of the public, customers, VOD platforms, in order to avoid getting in trouble with their customers, uh, and also to us to find creative and innovative ways that we can work together to provide a cost-effective um, and manageable solution that can, can lead to a far wider use of classifications uh, and content advice on online content. Mm. And Josh, is that something you rate to as a, as, a, as a platform
3: provider, you know, from a Netflix perspective, it is age rating, and is that really important? Because you operate in lots of countries with lots of different rating standards. It must be quite a challenge.
5: Yeah, and, and, and it's a global challenge. Uh, and consumers around the world have access to more content than ever before, and more choice. And you know, we see that. Uh, shaping what content's being produced um, and the quality of content but also in shaping behavior and how people choose content Um, and and that's really important and you know like uh, when you when you think about kind of what is our objective it's not to put any specific title in front of someone um, you know, if if someone just wants lighthearted comedies, uh, we got hundreds of those, and, and we want we want those those members to find those lighthearted comedies and enjoy themselves, and yeah. and so there's there's no there's no specific objective, and and part of that's coming from that subscription coming to a subscription model from an advertising model, where it's, where you're not focused on. You know, how do I how do I achieve access to a specific demographic as opposed to how do we make sure that someone who's using Netflix is enjoying it and if they're enjoying it they might want to use it next month also uh, and continue to be a subscriber with us.
3: Mm, Rihanna, thank
9: Um on, on just that
5: that
3: dialogue and the importance mm. of rating and just uh, and also changing viewing habits as well given your role yeah of...
9: so when i was a film critic at radio one one extra which is obviously the mm. sort of um, primary youth radio station in the uk um i i did find it sort of fairly disturbing so i was obviously coming in every single week reviewing three to four films a week um and it was quite disturbing to me, as a young woman at, at the time, not mm. so young anymore, it was a while ago, um, but how many films uh, were driven by um, sexual abuse or <coughs> violence, and how much that was just sort of quite casually um, thrown in, just as a sort of, um, I don't know, a, a sort of Kickstarter for perhaps the heroine's reason, yeah. you know, for being in the film. And uh, I found that quite frustrating. So it's really interesting to see uh, the BBFC sort of picking up on this and moving forward. Um, I kind of I hope that it will it'll help film companies sort of realise that actually this isn't necessary for this isn't what young people obviously want to be um, accessing in every single mm. film um, that they come across. So it might sort of force film companies to be actually a little bit more um, expansive with their ideas I do feel like as a film critic you have a responsibility to um, make sure that your audience sort of knows exactly what they're going to get um, in the same way that you were just talking about Um, and uh, I think marketing strategies as well are um, I think we were talking about uh, other favorites earlier and about how um people might go in expecting one sort of um period drama and then coming out with something completely different fabulous but i think um it is important to let people know uh, perhaps a little bit more about the content going in into a film um uh, with with young people i think they are incredibly discerning and there is. would never want to get to a point of patronising young people. So I think mm-hmm. it's fantastic that um, you're speaking to them and listening. And I think as long as the content is available in some forms in an educational way as well, I'm thinking about um, Sex Education, which has just come out on Netflix, yeah. uh, which um, if you look at that compared to something that teenagers might have been watching 15 years ago, like American Pie or something, and you know, I think you, they're quite good to sort of see side by side and actually see how that change in sex um, and how we sort of view sex as young people is, and it's just, it's kind of worlds apart about that conversation it's changed massively Um, and so I think that's great to see that reflected um, online without sort of having to to talk down, we're still having the conversations about sex it's still incredibly important to be literally educating people about sex and also having a lot of fun with it um, without being Preachy, but also without it, it's, it's still a positive representation, yeah. um, which is really important, I think.
3: Beth, from a, a girl guiding perspective, it's really interesting, Liana sort of picked up on those points about, um, you know, the types of content, and, and through the girls' attitude surveys, which I, I, I read every year, and which are always really interesting, what are, what are girls saying to you about the content they view? What are your thoughts about this?
0: Well, yeah, just like picking up from Rihanna's point, um, I was just looking at my notes and, um, so in a gas survey, in the Girl Guiding Research in 2016, um, 70% of girls thought that um, too often in media, girls are protect, uh, projected as sex objects and 61% of girls said this disempowered them. Um, and a lot of girls, uh, I think it was around 60% um, in about 2014 said that they felt that there was just a similarness and a sameness um, to girls and um, how they're portrayed in terms of size, in terms of um, in terms of not variance in disability, in terms of not variance in ethnicity um, and almost not, uh, in just the kind of portrayal of them. Um, I think this is true and I think you can look at it in from the traditional, you know, as I said, um, the minority groups but also just simply, you know, there's not, you know, the normal girl you see on the street in cinema. Um, usually it's sometimes a 20 year old model pretending to be 15 and it's unbelievable and yet this, we, we that that's what they're meant to look like and tell them that this is their experience and so girls naturally think that they're not you know, tall enough or pretty enough or not old enough looking and this really impacts dramatically. Um, and I think that's why, I think there's starting to be a shift Um, as they recognise this isn't right and it's not helping mental health in young girls and there's attempts to try and make teenagers and young people films more like they are in real life so for instance Eighth Grade which came out I think that tried to portray women actually tried to cast you know, a you know a, th- a fo- twelve-year-old, thirteen-year-old girl in the role, which worked because then people could actually see the representation. Um, she wasn't traditionally like she wasn't you know that you know that stick figure that you can see in love girls, um, in these kind of teen movies or whatever. So it was really, really I think refreshing to see it in the, those kind of films. Um, but it's still the majority I think, uh, and that's something we definitely need to move away from. Um, and I think. I think it's really good when I was looking through the BBC FFC classifications, I really generally felt that they they kind of mirrored what I knew of young people's opinions and what girls have told us. and my own opinions in terms of it's really important that you have put more emphasis on mental health um and the, um, the issues surrounding that, and' things like anxiety and suicide and self-harm, because much more, those are the issues that young people are concerned about, not, you know, not um like sexual um instances sexual violence yes but not sexual just um sexual acts on screen not explicit swear words those and violence though um physical violence that's to an extent not what they're worried about, they're more worried about the, the theme, the tone, if that could you know, potentially hark back to a disturbing time in their life, if that's accurately portraying something that they've experienced, especially um, young people today, because um, in 2018, um, one of our statistics showed that 61% of girls knew someone who had suffered from an anxiety or an uh, anxiety disorder. Um, and this is, you know, gone up by 20% in the past four years. Um, and this is potentially because of media, indeed, um, in like um, in 2014, 41% of girls said that they were happy and in 2018, only 25% of girls said they were very happy. So it's a very distinct job. And um, that partially, p- probably, possibly to do with social media, but it's definitely to do with just generally the media portrayal as a whole, both film, television, magazines, TV, uh, newspapers etc so yes I think I think you are going on the white right lines and it's really refreshing to see that you've consulted young people because it has has really reflected um, and um, I think yeah we're starting to go along white lines about trying to listen to young people understand that although they do self-regulate they do need the, the official things like BBSC to listen and to understand where they're coming
1: from.
3: That's really interesting. And I think it speaks to, as you say, that that what young people want from media in terms of what's relatable is really important to them. And that sort of casts all the way back to, you know, this issue that, you know, when you see a Bond movie and you know it's choreographed and there's an expectation, it's a certain way. But actually also there's amazing original content being produced with a really hard edge that is about relationships, is about well-being. And that has a meaningful role to play as well in youngsters' consumption of media, I think, too. so let's just open it up a, a bit further in terms of discussion. Um, Craig, in terms of um, uh, going forward over the, the, the next few years and, and in terms of the thinking about the classification guidelines in general, um, uh, do you think that uh, uh, there'll be any other aspects that you'll want to explore over the next few years? Are there any particular age bands that you think will come under pressure or any changes in the industry that might influence the, the, the next five years as well?
7: Yeah, I don't want to try and anticipate what we're going to consult on in you know another three or four years' time. Tempting though it is, Um, I mean it's it's one of those things we'll keep it under review. Part of the reason we do these things every uh, every four to five years is because it's such a major process. Yes, Uh, and you know from. From 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 the start of the consultation to today is you know a good 14 month process because mm. it's such it's such a major piece of research. Also, though public opinion does shift, it tends to shift relatively gradually, and I think. Um, uh, which is part of the reason why we don't you know, run this yes. every year. People ask us sometimes, well, why don't you go out and consult and, uh, and revise the guidelines every year? It's, it, it takes such a long time to do it, and also you don't want to, you don't want to try and assess changes in public attitude over too, yeah. too short a space of time. Um, I mean, I think one <coughs> of the things that was uh, that was very interesting that came out of the, the consultation this time was the views, as I said, of teachers who were concerned about yeah. the anxiety that... Um, Parents were show- that uh, children were showing in schools. Mm. Um, th- they're feeling that um, that people were perhaps copying language or behaviours that they might have seen online. And because we only had that throughout the uh, um, the uh, questionnaire stage, it would be interesting to dig a bit deeper into that and yeah. see more specifically uh, perhaps what, uh, what 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 teachers think that, um, that 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 they're seeing in their in their pupils. But. Um, um yeah in in, yeah in 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 general terms going back to to what we were saying a minute ago the really interesting thing sometimes people say well you know the classification decisions you 're making are partly to or largely to assist parents, so why are you talking to young people it 's actually really interesting to talk to young people, partly because they are the consumers of the material, uh, partly because they 're they're, they're incredibly savvy and media literate when we talk to them they 're yes. some of the most interesting and engaged groups we have yes. with teenagers and that and there are elements with the teens, and we see this also in our education work generally. Um, where, where, as you said, where there is self-censorship of stuff, people know what their tolerances mm. are and they know I don't want to see this. But there is an appetite for more, uh, uh, more information being available and being more widely available, because people do value and appreciate the guidance. Mm. Can I ask
6: a question, yes. just around the, did, you, um, did the Me Too movement figure um, very? vary yeah, in, um, in the research?
7: It, it, it was mentioned, and it was something that we were conscious of when we did the research, because it was happening through the course of last year, when 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 a lot of that was at its height. It's um, it's difficult to know for sure what impact it had. I'm sure I'm sure it did have some impact in terms of pushing some of those elements to the forefront of people's mm-hmm. minds. But again, um, the consultation is based on the feedback we've received over a four or five year period. And that was the sort of trend that we'd been seeing in terms of uh, what people have been telling us, uh, presentations when we've been doing outreach work in schools in terms of the feedback we've received from the public. So it's clear that um, sexual violence, but also those kind of real world, um, issues that people can associate with, especially teens, anxieties around suicide, self harm, those kind of things, where everybody knows somebody, you know, to whom this has happened, or you know, y- y- you know, um, th- 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 those kind of things that you feel could happen happen to you. Those um, th- 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 those elements have come through very strongly over the preceding <coughs> four years. So I, th- I don't think it was just caused by mm. Me Too, but that probably mm-hmm. that probably played some kind of element. You know? <coughs>
8: No, can I make a couple of points? Um, and, and apologies, because I'm probably going to appall some of the film purists in the room. Uh, and it touches on uh, both re- points both Rhiannon and, uh, and Bethan made. There, there is, and it, absolutely, the, the purpose of the BBFC isn't to shape the film culture or the filmmaking culture. It's, it's, it's primarily, unless I've misunderstood, around public protection. Good. Um, But, you know, the vast majority of films which are produced are commercial entities. The vast majority of cinemas in the company are commercial entities. And it is inevitable that as certain trends, you know, uh, sexual violence, violence against women, for example, become outside of the norm and are treated as such within classification guidelines, that that will shape filmmaking choices. That will actually start to change... But, you know, and this is not about limiting, you know, artistic creativity, and you know, there's all sorts of things going on. But yeah, I, I, I just asked Craig, because uh, my perception is, as someone who represents cinemas, that the number of films certified at 18 shown in cinemas is reduced massively over the last decade, hmm. and I can probably name most of them to be perfectly honest. Uh, Craig tells me that actually the number of films classified at 18 by the BBFC is pretty much flat but those films aren't making it to cinemas because there's a commercial decision made by most cinema operators, not necessarily that an 18 certificate is box office poison, particularly if it's attached to Quentin Tarantino, (laughs) but simply that that is not going to attract a broad enough paying audience. So there is, you know, whether you think he's right or wrong, uh, and there are probably people on different ends, there's undoubtedly a synergy between the decisions made by the BBFC and the overall film culture or, or, the, or the film viewing culture in cinemas, particularly. Clearly, you know, one of the challenges for the online space is it's not a bricks and mortar space. It's not a, you know, there's not a door someone comes through, as it were. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that we, you know, having said what I said about um, uh, the, 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 the increasing number of ways that our, our customers, you know, get information about films, that's not to say that we can't learn from, you know, colleagues such as Josh, Josh and others. Um, the other thing I was going to say is that it's, it's not for us as an... Inter- so so when, when Craig was talking about young people, you know, and, and, and the question as to why, why do we involve young people is because they're part of our custom, they're part of the population. They're also the parents of tomorrow. And so that sounds like kind of dewy eye, didn't mean to sound like that. Uh, <laughs> a little house on the prairie type stuff. But, you know, and, and you almost can't start soon enough... In educating them on what's an incredibly complex, challenging, and sometimes frightening kind of media mm. landscape, and that's not just for uh, that's not just for us to sit back and expect them to absorb materials or information that we disseminate. Uh, we we as uh, so when I say we as an industry, both cinema operators and colleagues in film distribution, for example, jointly fund Interfilm and the newly ennobled Paul Reef, CEO of Interfilm, is in the audience, and some of the participants in Interfilm are in the audience. Mm-hmm. And that's a much more proactive relationship between the industry and a cohort of young people, to get them to be, horrible phrase, I'll use it, film literate, and to have the <coughs> thinking skills to understand where classification sits within that landscape. And collectively as an industry, we almost can't do too much of that, to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. You know, And it is a fourth bridge exercise because there's, always cohorts of young people coming through uh, but actually I think you know one of the things that the industry probably hasn't got its act together sufficiently in a strategic way on is that media literacy that film education.
3: Mm. Great thank you that. that's really interesting and we actually have I think five interfilm young reporters here I think you've been blogging before and afterwards so welcome. Uh, hi there. And uh, you and know, those ones even younger than Rihanna. Me, mean. And uh, I'm going to open it up for questions now. Really, I mean, we've got a fascinating uh, panel here. So, who's going to be the first person to ask a question?
2: Time
3: um Yes. Um, yes. Just who where are you from and who are you are. Uh, Lavinia Carey, um, British Association
2: for Screen Entertainment. I've worked with the BBFC for 25 years, mm-hmm. perhaps not so much now, but um, I'm interested to know whether there's any pressure coming out of the consultation to formally mandate your work on uh, digital platforms. Because we went into the voluntary process a long time ago, it's been incredibly useful and mm-hmm. well received. But as there's been the remark about the sort of lack of consistency across platforms, for obvious reasons, uh, I just wonder if there's any pressure coming from this consultation process, or whether there's enough (coughs) confidence uh, that the industry can work with you in a constructive way and make sure that
1: the standards
7: are kind of evened out. To the cost yeah, practice. Yeah. Practice. yeah, yeah. I, I, I think our hope is that it can be dealt with um, w- w- without any, uh, you know, legislative element, and that it can be dealt with by us working together with um, platforms. Um, I mean, our, our, the way we've been looking at the platforms, you know, some platforms are using more classifications than other. Very few platforms are using classification on everything that they're showing and we just want to find new ways of working with platforms in order to increase the coverage on platforms and increase the number of platforms that are engaging with the BBC. but uh, i mean, it has to be said that a large number of platforms are working with us to to varying degrees but no in the first instance we we, we certainly um we certainly want to do it on an informal and collaborative basis because the
2: last thing the industry needs <coughs> is yeah. government boot stamping all over things. And oh things. no, no, absolutely. I mean, they've tried to do this in the past, and when they do, it's not a very good experience. But at the same time, the threat of legislation can yeah. bring people yeah. to the table, yeah. perhaps we're a bit reluctant. Yeah. I, I don't hope there aren't any threats, but no. it would no. be good to know
7: that... Uh, no, I think I think generally at the moment our impression is that people are keen to <coughs> work with us and to improve the offerings, as I said, largely because that's what the public want uh, and we just want to help them do that.
6: I think it's fair to point out as well that the BBFC has actually been quite dynamic mm. and savvy itself in terms of changing the model yeah the um, 13 years i've been working with the bbfc it started off you know our, our um, video uh, certification and mm-hmm. over that period of time um you've worked with you know technology and um opened out new systems of rating <coughs> watch and rate system and all yep. and all of these in order to enable mm-hmm. online platforms to be able to yeah. Um, give that clear signalling. Yeah. Um so you just sort of stuck in one box over here because that's what no. the law says. No. Uh, and that's been very
7: helpful.
6: Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> there you are. Paid me.
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs> and I think it's also interesting, it's not just in media, but if you look at, for example, the government's Internet Safety Strategy and the white paper that's due shortly, this issue around the parity between an offline and offline world, not just in media in every other area yeah. of child online safety, is is gonna be a key issue going forward. So it's it it, it, it's, the people that use this kind of content is, wants that greater consistency, I think, mm-hmm. in general, just to make things easier, to make their choices
1: yeah.
3: better choices, I think, overall. Hi. Uh, well, I've a
9: like, young reporter with Interfilm. Um, I thought it was really interesting, specifically, that you guys brought up uh, sex education, uh, like the Netflix example. And I was wondering, how do you balance the responsibilities of creating and promoting online content that's easily accessible and appeals to a wide audience but also may contain mature
5: content. <laughs> 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 so, so how do we balance, sorry, making mature content with?
2: So um, in terms of like making and uh, promoting kind of uh, products
9: which are available to a
2: wide audience and are easily can appeal to
5: a lot of people, um, but also may contain mature, mature content. Sure, sure. And and you know, it's it all comes down to choice, and that's a great question, right? There's, there's so much content available on netflix and and definitely not all of it is right for everyone um and and we know that and that's and that's part of our part of our service and and how do we match that content that's right for you as an individual um, or for you as a parent for your children um and and trying to create the tools uh, that are easy to use, that are intuitive, that can't be circumvented too easily, do help, um, make those choices, uh, either if you're a parent who wants to make them for your children, or if you want to make them for yourselves. Um, you know, I have a colleague who's, you know, mid thirties, uh, it doesn't like violence. And so how does he use Netflix to make sure he doesn't see a lot of violent content? So it's, it's not just for, for parents, but, you know, There's there's a broad array of tools that we have and and there's still a long way to go to make them even better and Technology allows you to kind of continue to iterate and improve that and make it more nuanced and more thoughtful Um, You know one one feature that we released that seems obvious now uh, But wasn't obvious when we first launched Netflix was uh, How do we make it so you can block a single title? Um, so maybe there's a show that uh, your teenager wants to watch um, because people are talking about it, but you want to make sure that you have the conversation with them that there's more context to it, that you're not watching it alone, that you're dealing with some of the issues. So you can now just restrict a single title, so that you're not blocking off their whole Netflix experience mm. and making them feel like they're being punished. But you're saying to your your, your child or you know your teenager, <coughs> hey, there's some there's some mature themes in this t- in the in the show that. I think are relevant to you that you're hearing about but I want to be there with you or talk them through with you and and you know that's on the technical side but then just kind of on the less technical side you know we've created discussion guides to try and help kind of stimulate those conversations that teachers have used that schools have used but parents have used as well and so you know it's not about uh, being paternalistic and making decisions for um, for anyone specifically it's about what are the tools that we can create either through technology or traditional means that that help inform choices get made
3: and josh i guess really it'd be interesting in terms of for example how young people access it mostly on mobile is it mostly on ipad type devices or you know Uh, because that's a big shift as well that's not often not acknowledged
5: sure i mean i mean you know it's a it's a broad mix and i and we don't take Demographic data, so we don't know mm. necessarily how old you are or your gender or any of that. We do know if that you have a kids profile or not kids profile or mm. if you set your profile to a certain age limit. Um, but it varies, and, and I think you see a lot of mobile usage. But you know, people also really like watching on their television, um, and and we see a lot of usage on on your television. So you know, w- w- our goal is not to dictate again anything uh is is not to tell you where you should watch netflix it's any internet connected device so if you're on your mobile phone or your ipad your computer your television you know are those parental controls going across all those devices and our goal is to make sure yes so that once you set it up once um you know no matter where you're watching it you're in that same uh curated protected experience that allows you to enjoy it yeah interesting
3: Hi, uh, Craig from PA. Probably one for Craig here as well. Um, you talked about in the feedback, you know, sexual violence aside, there was a, a pushback against what you termed the the pornification of yeah. the culture. I was wondering how that was defined in terms of the feedback, what that is, and you know, maybe <clears throat> what's motivating that kind
5: of cultural shift back away from a certain sexual liberality, if you like.
7: Yeah, I think. Um, I- I, I think there's been a tendency of more uh, borrowings from, uh, you know, themes or imagery that you might find in pornography, simply because of the widespread and e- easy availability of pornography on the internet now. You know, it's a lot more visible than it used to be um, when, when when you had to go to a you know sex shop to find it. Um, as David said at the uh, beginning, uh, starting this year, the board will be exercising new powers under the Digital Economy Act, the point of which is to try to make it harder for children to access um, pornography online. So um, it will be interesting to see what effect those kind of changes have going forward. In terms of our guidelines, probably the the standout example of this, although there was still very high agreement with the decision we made on it, was Sausage Party. <laughs> um, and, and, and over the last few years, that's been the film that we've most consistently received, shall we say, feedback about from, <laughs> from all sorts of people, but including teams who've seen the film and then tell us that they were shocked by it, but of course they, they, they had watched it.
1: And, uh, I, I, I oh, the way through, yes, exactly. <laughs>
7: then told us, "I can't believe you passed that 15," but I'm glad you did. But, 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 but we, you know, feedback over the last few years about that film, and I think that's a, that's a good example of where, where where perhaps there's a feeling that the board needs to rein things in slightly at the 15 level um, I don't want to offer too many I don't think it is a spoiler but to, but towards the end of the film for anyone who hasn't seen sausage party there's an there's an orgy involving animated items of food and it's a fairly crude sequence It's it's funny but it's it is crude and there are certain certain small elements in that scene I'm not going to describe them in detail you can you can go and look at it yourself if you want to know more. That um, I think people felt they'd be more accustomed to coming across in a in, in a pornographic film rather than a mainstream entertainment film. And I think those stronger elements, um, especially parents, um, had reservations about. And that was one of the general themes that came out um, that there was a concern that, um, uh, that, that it was too much too soon in terms of what uh, what what. Uh, Mid teens were being exposed to potentially, so that's one of the guideline changes.
9: And
3: just a little follow-up there: what do you think, perhaps, you know, in the cultural atmosphere is motivating a pushback against, you know, that kind of that kind of film, that kind of expression, if you like?
7: I think it's just because it's become so widespread and so easily available, mm-hmm. um, with. Um, um, with with a relative lack of regulation, both a a lack of regulation in terms of who can access the material and how how they can access it, but also in terms of anybody controlling what's in that content. One of the great problems with um, internet pornography versus pornography when it used to be in a sex shop is nobody's really regulating it. So when you come across pornography online, you, you, you are at risk of finding... Uh, almost anything. So there's there's no, no real regulation of the content, and there's no regulation of who can access it currently, which we hope the Digital Economy Act will help with. And um, Here's the
5: from the week junior. Just to pick up on the point about feedback, <coughs> you, you talked about those 60-odd titles that were the ones that you got the most yeah. comments from that you then used. I was just wondering if you could maybe talk about what some of those were, particularly the younger end of the age certifications, and also, more broadly, what age certification tends to get the most reaction? Is it 15s that should be higher, or is it lower down that parents want PGs
7: to be 12s and that kind of thing? Yeah, there the, the, the generally wasn't, um, wasn't a great deal of concern about stuff at the U and PG level this time. Um, it tends to be about whether certain things should be past 15 rather than 12, or 18 rather than 15. Um, well, I've already spoken about some of the key films like Sausage Party, other examples at the lower ends. Uh, we tend to look at the films naturally that we've received the most feedback about, but it's, 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 it's useful to do that as part of the consultation exercise, partly because the fact we've received 40 or 50 emails about something doesn't necessarily reflect the general view of the <coughs> public, and, 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 and that's often the case. We, we felt obliged to look at the most recent Bond film, we looked uh, the most recent Jason Bourne film, because we'd received a number of emails about them, and perhaps we received the emails about them because they were so widely seen and such a large number of people had seen them. Uh, so it's, it's useful to then discuss it with a wider and more representative sample in order to see whether those emails we've been receiving truly re- reflect public opinion or whether, or whether they don't. And in, in most cases, we we, we, found, we found it, it didn't. Um, Some of the films that we looked at are the lower categories. We we, we looked at um, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, which we got some email feedback about. Um, I think that's another good example of one of those films where arguably the marketing of the film might have Mm -hmm. led to a a slightly different expectation of what it was, Um, and we got some feedback about that. But when we showed it to focus groups and discussed it with parents, they all thought we'd got it in the right place um, at 12. Um, more contentious, not not as widely seen a film, but um, My Life as a Courgette, which we passed PG, and that caused quite a lot of quite a lot of debate within the BBFC in terms of whether it should be passed uh, PG or 12. We had some lively discussions about that, and I think the feedback we had when we showed it to focus groups merely reflected that um, that, that kind of debate existed outside the board as well. There were mm-hmm. mixed feelings; people could see why we passed it PG but people felt also that there might have been a case for passing it at the 12A classification. Um, so those, those, those are a couple of examples. Um, also, um, to take um, a, 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 a Netflix example, to the bone, we asked people about whether putting that at the, the 15 level was correct, because some people thought, because of the way it deals with anorexia and those kind of sensitive issues, perhaps it might have had address and appeal at a lower classification, but in general, people, people who saw that and discussed it felt that we had, we had got the 15 right. So. There is also, um, if you go online and look at the research document, it's quite a lengthy document, but at the back of the document, there's a list of exactly which films we showed to focus groups, and there's a lot of comment and detail about what people said in the main body of the document.
3: So I guess this speaks to in some ways the guidance that goes with films, the trailers. It speaks to issues like that and I guess the ability of young people in particular to go online and and see those trailers. Uh, I'm conscious of the fact too that you know some of the stuff that comes into the BBFC very often complaints about films about films that have not even been released in the UK yet Mm. are are sometimes social media groups who have a particular passion around a particular topic and they they respond to that with genuine Mm. concern but actually Mm. they've they've not viewed the film yet so there's There is that other issue too as well in terms of the issues that are brought up.
9: Yeah. Making sure that, um, like I was saying earlier, that these, this content is available but um, that you were talking about the context and how important it is to have conversations around it I think is so vital because that wasn't stuff that I was watching uh, when I was growing up the whole um, emphasis on mental health and young people it's now the fact that it is being dramatised and we're just, you know we're seeing how um, impactful it can be on everyday life I think it's so important to reflect that um, in on TV and in film uh, and, and so... Uh, opening up those conversations between parents and children. I had quite a few chats with um, with uh, dads who were saying, you know, my kid wanted to watch this, uh, so I said we could watch the first episode mm. together and then we would kind of yeah. see how that progressed. Um, and, and, and parents taking that... You know, not just a super overprotective um, stance on what their kids are watching, not being militant about it, but sort of saying, actually, it's okay if you want to watch this, but you know, we can understand it, we can work through this together. Uh, which wasn't something that I or I think people I knew necessarily growing up. Um, I don't think we that was an experience that we did with our uh, parents. Mm-hmm. So the fact that it's now uh, encouraging maybe a more shared um, viewing experience across the generations. Um, I think it's a really positive thing. Mm. I mean, what was interesting <coughs>
7: with 13 Reasons Why was um, we didn't ask people to watch the whole series because that would have been uh, um, you know, quite quite yeah. some hours yeah. to ask people to watch. But obviously a lot of the teens that we spoke <coughs> to had uh, ha- had seen it or had seen parts of the series and had, had views about it. And um, There'd be a natural tendency to assume that teens would say that our decision to classify some episodes at 18 was over-restrictive, but in fact um, uh, teenagers felt that the board had actually got it right, putting the 18 there and issuing the warning about the, um, the, the, the themes of suicide and also the sequences of sexual violence. Uh, which were quite concerning Uh, but no you, you know teens even if they have seen something they appreciate the information and the guidance and they can be really quite sensible about it and felt that in spite of the fact that they had engaged it and perhaps had found it useful as a discussion tool that the added weight of the warning of saying that this is 18 and it contains these sequences you might want to know about was something that they found useful
9: And and they used actors, don't they? The the actors um, at the beginning of each episode to sort of discuss the content. And that wasn't something I'd seen
1: before. Mm
9: -hmm. Um, So I wonder if that... I don't know if anybody has any information about that. Beth, maybe you could speak to this. If that actually... Do you think people will watch that and take it on board?
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I was just um, discussing beforehand that I... In terms of just very obviously classification. So obviously when you're watching things in the cinema and the classification comes up just before the film starts. It's very obvious. It's very clear what it is, um, and I've found personally from online streaming services, it's maybe not as clear about what episodes are PG. Well, obviously PG is a bit more obvious, but 15, 18, etc. I don't, uh, I not see as obvious because it doesn't come up before the start of the film. Um, potentially, it's po- it's probably in the description, but I've never personally seen it. Um, but 13 Reasons Why was one of the undershuggers you can really pinpoint where it was a direct thing at the start, which told you about the issues, the trigger warnings, I thought that was really good because it was dealing with a heavier su- subject matter. Mm. Um, and I think in terms of the information, it's really good to have the BBC, BBFC reinforcement there, um, but also with things like, um, 13 Reasons Why, which was such a global, uh, not, well, yeah, global thing, and very just this very big thing online, um, I think um, young people not only have their own um, judgment to be able to see if they would be um, able to deal with some of that subject matter but also online and social media is a really good um, accessory to some of these programs because online, especially on like social media such as Tumblr, there was a lot of discussion about 13 reasons why um, whether like um, who was appropriate for, whether if you were a victim of X, Y or Z um, you would find it um, difficult to watch. Um, and that, you know, that alongside BBFC, I think really helps young people to kind of know what they want um, and self-regulate uh, because it's young people, thousands of young people um, giving all their different takes. So I think I um, I think I think there should be more um, recognition maybe that social media is also very valuable to accessory to films as well. Mm-hmm.
7: Ben Dalton from
8: screen International I have a question for Josh uh, so Netflix provides maturity ratings and also content descriptors for all the content it has could you explain a bit
7: for us how it arrives at those working with local standards organizations and then also how
5: you standardize those across different territories great question a um, question uh, I to go really deep in so I'll, I'll try and I'll try and answer your question. Uh, completely, but uh, I can also follow up after if you want the real nuts and bolts. But it, it varies across um, territory. But you know, classification. Uh, it's interesting when you look at it from a global perspective. The general elements are the same globally: sex, nudity, violence, sexual violence. In some cases discrimination, like in the U.K. Um, but you know, sometimes that's just encapsulated in general thematic elements. Um, those, those are pretty standard and global. Um, what what differs and varies from territory to territory is how much each of those things is weighted. Um, you know, there's kind of the general conception that, you know, violence is more accepted in the U.S. Uh, nudity and sex is more accepted in Europe. That's, you know, broad uh, oversimplification. But, you know, but that's our goal, is to make sure every rating in every market for every title is, is accurate in giving consumers information.
8: Yeah. Yep. Um, hi, I'm Jake. Um, I'm an into film reporter. Um, so, in regards to me being a parent of tomorrow, and also in terms of a loss of innocence, um, oh, in terms of um, when the members of the iGen generation become parents, do you think that there'll be less or more auto- autonomy over, like, our children's media consumption and will that be to their benefit or not?
6: Wow. That's
8: a great question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Crystal ball. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've gone, since you fed back to be uh, a phrase I used, I'll kick it off. Um, one of the interesting things I think, you know, and, and bits of feedback we get from our, our members. Quite often, it's not a parent. It's a it's a carer. It's a significant adult in their life. But there still is absolutely a sense that part of the decision-making of young people is shaped by influences of that parent, or, carer or whatever. And um, I don't see any, you know, regardless of the number of different messages or, or, or avenues that young people are bombarded with these days, you know, some good, some less good, etc. I don't see any significant, this is a purely anecdotal, okay, I don't see any significant evidence that that, Link is being broken in a significant way, and I think that you know it's not an either or. It's not either go for the parents or go for the young person. We need to you know kind of touch both with a consistent message. But I don't sense, and and colleagues on the you know colleagues on the panel, and 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 certainly people who probably know this better than I do in the audience should feel free to disagree. I don't sense that there will be this sudden you know kind of loosening of the reins in the IGen. And 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 parents or significant adults will will lose their resonance and lose their relevance. Okay.
3: There were some more questions at the back. Yeah.
5: yeah.
9: Hi, um, Alexa Rundle with Interfilm again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I was sort of following on from Rihanna's point about um, earlier on, and I was wondering, especially with the changes that are being made towards how like sexual violence is rated, mm-hmm. I was wondering what you thought the line should be between starting
4: a conversation and still protecting sort of younger people from what they're watching online?
9: Um, I think... Uh, so One a scene that sort of that sprang to mind when um, I was talking about that was actually not from a film but a TV series um, in Poldark where there was... Um, what was essentially a rape scene but it wasn't flagged as such. Um, it was... I, I don't know if you know the scene that I'm talking about. I think it's, it's where... Um, dark is kind of uh, trying to rape Elizabeth and she starts saying no, no, and then sort of submits and enjoys it. Um, and I thought that was one of the most dangerous um, depictions of, of sexual violence that I've seen because it wasn't flagged as rape, um, even though it clearly should have been. I think the, that scene actually sparked quite a lot of outrage and a, um, not just outrage, but conversations. I think people were sort of then discussing how appropriate that was, um, whether it should have been you know, much more clear that that was not acceptable behaviour um, on screen. And I know that that comes up in the, in the BBFC guidelines as well. Um, mitigating circumstances um, of depicting sexual violence on screen might be that it, as long as it's shown absolutely in a negative light. Um, so I think I, I, it's like it's these um, these red flags. I think we can't... I don't want to get into the, the kind of idea of complete censorship. Um, things it has to be uh, reflective of society and awful things happen in society and must be reflected um, as long as it's reflected uh, sort of carefully, thoughtfully um, and m- ensuring that people um, are able to have um, different, differing viewpoints around it. Um, I think that is... I think we do have to be really careful about not just saying absolutely we can't show this. Um, so I think that, that particular scene... Maybe uncomfortable, and I found that really quite horrible. But actually, it's again sparked uh, all these conversations around it, um, which which are vital for just kind of carrying on the, mm-hmm. you know, the it's next, the next. And it's a point about
3: social media and the discussion mm-hmm. the issues of consent and those kind of things. Those are really important discussions to have, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
9: Hi, I'm Jess from AT
0: So it sounds like it's more becoming about themes than necessarily about. What's actually shown on screen is how it's shown. Does that make it harder for that guidance
7: this time around and apply it? Is it getting more difficult on you? Um, well, I like to think it's getting more nuanced. Certainly, um, I think it's it's a mixture of both. You know, both elements are important. What's what's shown on the screen, what's depicted when it comes to sex, or you know, the, how explicit the violence is, is important. But consistently, what the public always tell us is that context is very important. Uh, and, and to take an example, like the pole dark scene, um, you know, a sequence uh, of that nature conveying that kind of message portrayed in the wrong way, you know, in what, what we would see as an irresponsible fashion mm-hmm. would, would be potentially um, subjected to compulsory cuts, you know, if yeah. if you were showing a, a rape scene you know, reinforcing a rape myth in an irresponsible way with, you know, nudity and explicit detail, we'd probably be looking at refusing to classify it altogether. But by the same token, when it's embedded within a narrative that people have been following based on books, characters they know, you know, they're more likely to accept it because of the wider context. And context, you know, context we often say it and it sounds like a you know a get out of jail free card, but context really is everything. And that was something that um, that's been clear from several um, guideline consultations, and came out here in this consultation again and again. You know, with certain types of um, certain types of films, the example was given of the Bond and Bourne films. Everyone knows what you're getting when you go in to see an action movie, and that context assists. But if if you're seeing a film like um, you know the Boxing Day tsunami film, The Impossible, which is one we got a lot of feedback about, people really. People were really upset by that, it made them anxious and and it had more of an impact on them because it's incredible and realistic. So um, I think yes, the detail is important, but the context is 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 equally important and it can mean something that would be
8: acceptable
7: in in, in one context would be unacceptable in another context and
8: and and to that point my recollection of the impossible was actually mm. most of the complaints were about the trailer they weren't about the film. People going into the film knew what they were mm. going to see, mm. but people going into the cinema where this popped up in front mm. of, you know, an appropriate genre of films, but, mm. you know, a different mm. range, that was where most of the complaints were. So to underline kind of Craig's point yeah. about context, you know, that, that's, that's why, it, you know, it'll always be, in mm. terms of BBFC's classification guidelines, kind of broad themes yeah. rather than you can show this, you can show this, as it were. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and as Phil says, you know, even when we receive a, a film, uh,
7: an unusually high number of complaints for us. You know, for, for, for us, for a film to get into double figures is a high number of complaints, which is very small compared with the kind of complaints you get for, you know, television. Um, and that's probably partly because if people have made a conscious choice to go to the cinema yeah. to see a particular yeah. film, and, and they're aware of our rating and the content advice we provide, they're gonna have some sort of reasonable expectation of what they're gonna get. Whereas, as, as Phil said, one, one of the things that we constantly struggle with is, is trailers. Um, because you, it's, it's, it's very hard to judge how somebody who, um, you know, somebody who hates horror films is going to react if they go to see, I don't know, a rom-com or a drama, and then there's a trailer for a horror film. And uh, you know, it might be that the contents of that trailer are perfectly fine in guideline terms at the 12 level, let's say, um, but if that's not what you're expecting, uh, and you haven't got a warning about that, that, That that's where the problem, that's where problems can, can occur. Right. Time for one more question, yeah. thank you.
1: Um, I'm Naomi Eisenstadt, I'm on the children's advisory panel of BBFC, <coughs> And some of the ones that we've seen that we've struggled with yeah. are about much, much younger children mm. where you cannot understand what they see and what they understand. So um, a really nice film, I love the film with Frankenweenie, mm. but in fact the depiction of the characters the gormless bad people were fat or had thick glasses. You know the heroes were very slim. I mean exactly as you were saying. I and um, I've been watching some uh, uh, some cartoons with my uh, granddaughter who's four, and the characters are in incre- ridiculous bodies on the women, just absolutely worse than Barbie, in terms of the shapes of the women. Now you don't want to be. I mean that's part of the artistic license. But I get. I just like some comment on thinking much more about the other end of the age spectrum in terms of appropriateness in children. Mm.
3: Thoughts on
0: that? I think that, like, um, yeah, I think that there's definitely feedback even from a very young age, because we take girls from 7 to 21, so we've got a really broad end of the spectrum. Um, And even from a very young age, girls telling us that there's too much emphasis on um you know figures um from like 11 to 7 girls from 11 to 17 i think 38 percent um said that um that they under 30 percent said they wouldn't skip a meal because they wanted to lose weight and you know 71 percent thought they um should um they wanted to lose weight um um and that's just that's a lot of the reasons to the media and like i was saying before about just the lack of diversity in body shapes um and um the sizes that are seen um and you're right maybe the issue is that we a lot more emphasis now is going into like the teenage where more body images um so for instance like Dumplin', which came out on netflix um and, and things about giving more um you know, uh, access to people with who are from bigger sizes, you don't necessarily see that from a younger age point, and maybe that's because people don't assume that younger people um, have those same issues. But actually, that's probably a fair point that that kind of mindset is getting to them really, really early, mm-hmm. and the same kind of we need to be more aware about what um, body images and perceptions are putting forth. Need to go to a younger age.
1: Also, disability is sometimes the bad guy. That's the really difficult
0: yeah and you know you know i think we've moved past the whole take off the glasses and you are suddenly beautiful point thank god <laughs> yeah. but um yeah i think i think that can be an issue and not not having heroes who just happen to have disabilities can also be a shame yeah. because then people with disabilities don't think that they can be heroes yeah
7: right well when i get you. the sense things are moving in the right direction yeah they them. are but yeah. the thing to The thing to remember, especially from a BBFC point of view, is, um, as I often tell people when they complain to us, we don't make the films. We're just here to provide you with advice about what's in the film. Uh, And of course, also the BBFC, we're, we're, we're assessing films from all across the globe, and you know, trying to impose one standard on the entire world, we're, we're also <laughs> assessing films from the whole history of cinema. You know, so we're always getting films in from the 1920s, the 1930s, the 1940s. Um, you know, coming back and seeing them again, and we, you know, we, we will apply the most appropriate standard today. But the public do tend to make allowances when something comes from a very different cultural background or a very different time. And we have a sort of difficult balancing act because the range of material we're getting. It it, it comes from around the world and from from the last hundred years. So I I, I think that's why we see our role as assisting you by telling you what's in the the content, rather than acting, as we said, in a sort of paternalistic censorship role, if we can avoid doing so.
1: Great.
3: Well, thank you for some great questions and for being an attentive audience. Um, I want to thank uh, Phil, Leslie, Rihanna, uh, Beth, and and Craig, really, for a fantastic debate. And thank you once again for, for being here.
4: Thanks for listening. Now, don't forget, you can tell us what you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast by emailing us on podcast at bbfc.co.uk or tweeting us at bbfc. We also have a Facebook page and you can find us by searching British Board of Film Classification. And if you want our ratings on the go or a new place to listen to our dulcet tones, you can download our app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. We'll be back soon with another look at BBFC classifications from past and present. Goodbye.